It's time's holding on, holding on, holding on to you It's time's holding on, holding on, holding on to you You're listening to The Noise Cancelling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark. All right, welcome everybody. That was again the early reset with our our beautiful intro music. Uh, I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. And welcome to episode six. Like I said, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're back. If it's your first time, welcome. We're happy that you're here. We have a really exciting show today. I know Axel and I have been talking about this for weeks. Uh, The timing could not have worked out any better to have some exciting stories to share today. So without further ado, I'm going to have Axel intro what we're talking about today. All right. So tonight we're going to be talking with Miriam Khan. She's a producer for ABC News. Uh, I met Miriam in Puerto Rico while I was vacationing with my buddy Gino, and she was filming a segment on Puerto Rican politics. And uh, we ended up all taking the same bike ride to Old San Juan, and we've ended up all back here in D.C. She graduated uh, from her undergrad at Ohio State and her master's at Northwestern. She is a diehard, diehard Buckeyes fan. And, uh, and last night, she was at the Capitol for the State of the Union and was Snapchatting for ABC News. So... We're excited to hear how that went, hear, hear how the State of the Union was, and, um, and like I said, this is going to be a great show. I'm All right, so Ma- Mariam, welcome. Thank so you. the first thing, can, can you kind of tell us the different shows you produce for for ABC News and kind of just what you're doing in your current job? Yeah, so my title is digital journalist, which kind of means I do a little bit of everything. I'm shooting and editing and producing working for all platforms across ABC News, so that includes Good Morning America, World News Tonight with David Muir, Nightline 2020, and This Week on Sunday. Um, and so I produce content for them, be it out in the field, reporting, gathering news, um, helping shoot, video, kind of a little bit of everything. Jack of all trades, I like to say. Cool. <laughs> so, so last night you were at the you were there for the State of the Union, and you were Snapchatting for ABC News. So my first question is, why Snapchat? Uh, I think I tried to register today for Snapchat, and and when you put your birthday in, it said I was too old. So uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, I don't I, think that's true. I think anyone can Snapchat. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really funny. So. Um, I love politics. I love covering Capitol Hill, the White House, and, you know, being involved. I think it's very exciting being a part of something that's so much bigger than we are and, you know, essentially being the watchdog of government. And um, when State of the Union was coming around, I first thing I said to my boss was, I want to be involved. Um, If there's anything that I can do, I would love to. And we have an entire team dedicated to politics at ABC News. And, you know, I just emailed the team and was like, can I do something? And the the social media editor emails me the other day and he goes, hey, you know, we'd love to, you know, involve you. Do you know anything about Snapchat? 
and I laughed because for the last two years, I have been using Snapchat personally, and I freaking love it. And it's it's funny because <laughs> all my friends over the last couple of years have made so much fun of me for always Snapchatting when we're out, you know, going out with, you know, my friends and seeing new things at a concert, at a club, walking along the street. I love to Snapchat. And so when the opportunity came for me to, to Snapchat yesterday, I was like, absolutely, I'm signing on. So last night did not feel like work at all for me. I literally roamed the entire Capitol grounds. I was inside Statuary Hall, Snapchatting and tweeting and Instagramming and um, being really involved with everything that was happening. So it was really cool. Hey, so I saw that the White House established a Snapchat account today. Do you think that's partially because of your Snapchats? (laughs) Seriously, though. You know, actually, I think I, I think that joined um, a couple of days ago, and it was really funny because um, as I signed up to Snapchat for you know the State of the Union last night, the White House started to Snapchat. So it was it was it was truly perfect timing because they're Snapchatting, I'm Snapchatting, a lot of members of Congress were Snapchatting. In fact, a lot of them were Snapchatting while they were inside the House chamber, which is a huge no no. Oh. And they they still did it because Snapchat is addicting. And um, <laughs> you guys should both join. And I am not working for Snapchat, but they should hire me because it is that good. So the, so the cool thing is that, like, at least from what I saw, there's, uh, like, you, you're posting videos with little, like, headlines or little quotes around them kind of describing what's in the video. You are so scared by this notion, but it's so easy. You you literally, you take a picture or you make a quick video and um, you double tap on the screen and you can add any of your emojis. You can write right on the screen. It's very easy, Axel. All right. I'll have to, I'll have to try again. I may have to lie about my age, but I'll, I'm going to get in there. Yeah. No, I, I feel will like say- this, is, this is turning into a, a native ad for Snapchat all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. We should get some royalties from them. But um, it was it is difficult, and that goes into the bigger, you know, like, discussion about social media because here I was thinking, oh, I have the best assignment. I'm going to Snapchat. I'll tweet. I'll Instagram, take pictures, and, you know, really help boost ABC um, News' social media accounts. But it's a lot of hard work. Um, everything kind of happens all at once. Especially at the State of the Union, people are walking by so quickly. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg is walking by, and I'm Snapchatting her. Oh, shoot, there comes John Kerry. So you have to be really quick, really fast. And it, it really can get overwhelming if you're not prepared and, you know, calm. It's it's pretty pretty scary in the moment. Did you have one phone, or did you have multiple Snapchat burners to make sure you were capturing everything? <laughs> So I had one phone that I used primarily to Snapchat for our ABC account, and that ran out of battery pretty quickly. Luckily, I did have my personal phone as a backup. Um, But it was nice that during the actual speech, I was able to go and put it on a battery and, you know, charge it all up. But I did have two phones just in case. But we're always sent out with two phones in the field anyway, just in case something like that happens because... 
all those apps burn up a lot of energy and battery. For sure. So I am, you know, the douchebag with two iPhones at all times. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good look. If you had yeah. if you had the dual holsters on each side, then <laughs> we may have to draw the line there. But I, th- I think you're safe. My two favorite snaps of of the night were uh, the John Kerry "Who Are You Wearing" was really funny, and mm. then the the time lapse at the end was really really cool too. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool because that John Kerry Snapchat went viral um, across all of our accounts and on Twitter. It was. Um, noted as one of the Twitter moments. So that was kind of my shining moment of glory for all the Snapchat haters out there, a.k.a. my <laughs> friends. Uh, it was pretty cool. He he was walking by and, you know, everything is serious. John Kerry, Secretary of State, he's not taking any questions. And out of the, the blue, you hear this one, you know, reporter, who are you wearing? And John <laughs> Kerry just keeps walking because he, like, I guess at first didn't register it. And then all of a sudden you see him look back with this most like incredulous face. Like, what are you seriously going <laughs> to ask me that right now? So yeah, that was, that was really funny. And you can hear me laughing along cause the entire, you know, room kind of erupted in applause. Cause it was really funny or not applause laughter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> applause would have been pretty awesome too. <laughs> yeah, it probably would have been warranted. Hey, so what's the setup? So when you're a part of the media, you, it almost looked like a red carpet. Is that almost kind of what it is, where people are walking from their offices through that one section? Basically, that's essentially what it is. I mean, there's no real red carpet on the floor in Statuary Hall, but it's, you know, roped off for all the members of Congress and their guests to walk by. And it's kind of this insane, ironic, like, ha-ha, look at us walking through to the State of the Union. And we kind of celebrate it and uh, stalk them like paparazzi, which is kind of, you know, weird and um, strange, honestly, if you think of it. But that's exactly what it looks like. We're, we're all standing along the ropes, just trying to capture any images that we can. And is there a media room set up? For, like, where did you watch the State of the Union at or from? Funniest thing ever. Good question, because there is no media room for us. We literally have to go around anywhere in the Capitol where we can find space to watch um people can go back to you know their senate radio television print galleries or on the house side there are radio and print galleries which is you know space designated for the media to work out of but in that moment everything is super packed and everything is kind of crazy and rush um that it's kind of hard to figure out where to watch from but i and my myself and my friend we went back to the senate radio and tv gallery and luckily it was pretty empty we turned on a tv that happened to be right there and watched it's not very glamorous you know it's yeah. it's actually not glamorous at all people think oh my god how cool <laughs> But very limited amount of people can actually get inside to the house chamber. You have to have clearances well in advance. And we had a few people from ABC already inside the house chamber. So, you know, I had to just search for a TV on the Capitol grounds and watch. <laughs> That's a good point. Axel, I think we got to start working on your media credentials for the State of the Union next year. You can go for the podcast and no, in a very official form. Media credentials. <laughs> What was the environment? What was the tone there? Were people excited because it was his last day of the union? Or like, what was the kind of what was the feeling there? It was eerily quiet. 
I mean, in previous years I've covered, and it's just palpitating. Is that the right word? Palpitating? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Palpitating, like energy, excitement. Everyone's there from all sorts of media, network, organizations. You see old friends you haven't seen in forever. Um, And when I get there yesterday, it's pretty quiet, empty. Not a lot of media was there. And many, many media were commenting on the fact that it was just so lackluster, kind of low-key this year. Um, which was a little strange going into his final, President Obama's final State of the Union address. But um, afterwards, there was a lot more media present in Statuary Hall. And I guess that makes sense, too, because what people really want to hear is the reaction to the address. What do you, oh, right. you know, what do you think of the address? Uh, what are your thoughts on what he said? So I think that was that was when we saw a lot more people gathered. But going into it, very quiet. So do, do the people that are watching it, do they give interviews afterwards? And like, where are those interviews held? Oh, yeah. Oh, they love talking to media afterward. Um, they, members of Congress, you know, Senate members and House of Representatives members, they, they love talking to media. They come out of the House chamber directly into Statuary Hall, where we are set up, where all the media is allowed. And it's kind of free form, at will, you know, whatever goes, you see a senator, you kind of grab him and he moves on to the next kind of like a big assembly line. And they love talking about their thoughts and opinions. What would you say was the most engaging? What would you say was the most engaging interview that you had last night? You know, what's interesting is we 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 spoke to a lot of people. Um, All of them were pretty engaging. But the most engaging whom I spoke with myself was representative from Michigan, mid-Michigan, Dan Kildee. He's a Democrat, and he brought two family members of a U.S. Marine who is currently held captive in Iran. His name is Amir Hekmati, and he's been there. He's been held captive for a couple of years now, and his family is desperately trying to secure some sort of release for him um, and he's accused of espionage, and his family and Dan Kildy have both said that he is not a spy, and they just want him home safely. So really, you know, truly inspiring to see that, you know, last year, Congressman Dan Kildy left his seat open. He had no guests, and that seat was for Amir Hakmati to represent, you know, the fact that he is in a prison somewhere in Iran. We don't know if he's safe or healthy. This year, he brought along Amir Hekmati's sister and her husband, who have both been very vocal about the, the need to release Amir Hekmati. And Congressman Kildee said to me, next year, my seat is for Amir Hekmati because we want mm-hmm. him home and we want him to be here. So we're hoping that by next State of the Union, he'll be here as my guest. So that was a um, very touching moment because he's been, you know, Congressman Dan Kildee has been covering this this issue for so long now. And to see it all kind of unfold before my eyes since I've been covering his story since last year was a really nice moment. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so <clears throat> what would you say, do you think there was any difference uh, in response because it is uh, going into an election year or is an election year now? I would say, I mean, it's a tough question. I think the response 
you know, the anticipation of the State of the Union speech was mostly about it being his last one. I don't really know if politics of this current election cycle really played into it. It's true. I mean, a lot of the Republican and um, Republican candidates were there, including Marco Rubio. And I also saw Senator Bernie Will- uh, Bernie Sanders. You know, they were both there. But I think it wasn't their night to shine. It was President Obama's night. And I think members of Cong- Congress really recognized that. So I think, you know, going into it and the response afterward was mostly centered around the fact that this is the last time President Obama is really going to be addressing Congress in such a formal way. And that mm-hmm. was, you know, very interesting to see. <clears throat> okay. Cool. That's awesome. It, it was the, It's so amazing just to hear about someone that's actually there because like you see it on TV and I mean, particularly when you're growing up outside of DC, uh, it's cool to hear what it's actually like uh, in the Capitol and what's going, what's going on. So I think we're going to shift gears here a little bit. Uh, what I'd like to talk to you about now is a little bit about you growing up and we kind of want to know how close is, was your, uh, growing up to like your experience growing up to master of none was it a similar life experience (laughs) i love that show i totally can relate to aziz ansari's character in master of none i mean we both kind of you know it's a parallel experience we both grew up with family members that were born and raised outside of this country and being first-generation kids growing up in the States, you really have to reconcile those two cultures that are so different, that are constantly competing with one another. And, you know, myself personally growing up, I've never really seen that explored in the media. I've never been able to relate, relate much to the media because I've never seen a person like me on camera. You know, that story being told of a first-generation American with you know south asian parents what that's like and seeing it play out in screen with you know such a funny fantastic actor and he really hit the nail on the head with everything that he said and it was very you know it was a very nice thing to see because i could complete completely relate to it what's one of the examples or what's an example of something that show that you're like oh that was very similar to what i what i experienced Oh, I mean, there were a lot of similar things. I mean, I love the interactions with his parents who were his real life parents and, you know, involving them in the show was the best idea ever because it really captures what it's like having parents from South Asia whose language, English is the second language and kind of having to deal with that language barrier and culture barrier growing up with parents from India or Pakistan. I completely had to relate, you know, to that growing up. Another really funny part that I completely related to was the whole relationship aspect. You know, in one of the episodes, his girlfriend on the show is like, why haven't I met your family yet? It's been like a year. And and he's just like, oh, they don't know about you. Right, right. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) to her and in real life to many, you know, Western Americans, that's a very weird notion. Like, wait, your, your family doesn't know about your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And for South Asian kids, it's just not that easy. We essentially have to lead double lives for most of the time growing up. You know, it's a it's a tough thing to, trying to make both cultures happy. So I totally related to that. 
Are there were your parents' expectations that you wouldn't date? Period, or did they want you to uh, like date um, someone from like that area? Both. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really funny now. I joke with my mom all the time because growing up, like middle school, high school, college, no boys. Don't talk to boys. Don't hang out with boys. You're not allowed to have boys in your life. Period. And now it's like, why aren't you married? (laughs) (laughs) She wants grandkids. And I'm like, thank you, mom. Like, do you not see how this is just so contradictory? You can't just, you know, tell someone to not date their entire lives and stay away from boys. And then at the next stage of life, it's like, oh, yeah, get married. That's actually a current struggle that I'm dealing with now. Just, you know, dealing with parents who have those expectations of wanting to carry on the culture and the religion and Obviously, I'm born and raised in America. I I love both cultures, and I'm both close to both cultures. But it's something that's been definitely a bit of a struggle trying to marry the two cultures together. Pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely, well played, well played. Hey, what area did you grow up in? So I grew up. Uh, primarily in Columbus, Ohio, which is why I'm such a diehard Buckeyes fan. <laughs> O-H! I-O! Um, oh, were we supposed <laughs> to jump in there? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Surely your followers will be Buckeye fans, so I got an I-O <laughs> out there somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, but as a kid, I moved around a ton. I was actually born in Dallas, Texas, and my older brother was born in Queens, New York. My sister was born, my younger sister was born in Colorado, and because of my dad's job, he works for the government, we were we were able to travel kind of all over the country, and I kind of attribute that to my dad, who really had this love for traveling even though he's a pretty quiet calm character you would never really believe that from him but you know he moved to america as a 19 or 20 year old and really embraced embraced this culture and this lifestyle and he's been in the states for nearly 40 years now and i think his primary goal was to kind of discover as much as he could So we moved around a lot. We lived in New Jersey. We lived in Ohio before we ended up settling there. Uh, Syracuse, New York, Long Island. And that's why my siblings and I were all born in different areas. And then we ended up living in Columbus, Ohio, you know, because it was a pretty safe, calm, secure environment. Good schools, good colleges. The way of life was easy, suburban, you know. And it's a great city. Growing up now, I I feel very lucky to have been born there. Or not born there, but raised there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I grew up in a similar small town in Iowa, and I always say it's a great place to be from. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. (laughs) Small town, Oregon. Hey, so was being a producer a dream of yours since you were young, or, uh, or is that something you picked up later? And also... Uh, if it was, I think like when I was growing up, and so I grew up in small town Oregon, where like being a producer for ABC News seems like such a big dream and so hard to do. And I think a lot of people, uh, like growing up, so like maybe a kid has that dream, but uh, since like we're out there and we're away from the big city, I think 
people kind of discourage them from chasing a dream like that because it seems like it's so impossible. Yes, I I will say growing up, I knew I wanted to be in the news business. So, you know, my dad loved Peter Jennings, who, as everyone knows, was, you know, the hero, the anchor, the voice of ABC News, the face of ABC News, trusted around the world. And there's no one that has anything bad to say about them, about him whenever you bring his name up. So he moved to the States in the 70s and started watching Peter Jennings on ABC. And that kind of was in my household ever since I grew up as a kid. We would always see Peter Jennings, 630 News, and we would make fun of my dad, like without fail, even if he was coming home late from work and it's 640 and I'm watching like Barney or some TV show (laughs) for kids, he'd be like, okay, 630 News, put it on. And um, we always loved talking about news and culture and, you know, discussing our feelings and thoughts about things, being first generation kids in this, you know, new world for my parents. And I loved to write stories as a kid and I was always really curious. So it just naturally kind of developed that I wanted to go into journalism. And in high school, I joined the high school paper. I was the news editor and that led to me studying journalism in college and eventually You know, I graduated from undergrad with a bachelor's degree in journalism, and I primarily focused on print journalism, which I love to do. I love to write. I love to talk to people and share their stories via the print form. But I I realized that I really wanted to get into television and learn more about multimedia skills because that is the way of the future. And so for about a year and a half, I... I worked for a communications team and I really developed a lot of professional skills and team building skills and being a project manager. And by then I was, you know, 23, 24, and I decided I needed to apply for grad school because I wanted to further my my skills. And so I, on a whim, applied to two grad schools. I got into both. I chose to go to Northwestern and I really honed in on my my media skills, learning how to shoot a camera. On my first day, they handed me a camera and they said, okay, here you here you go, run with it. And I hit the ground running in Chicago, the best city for news, for journalism, to learn about life and culture. And it was my first time moving away from home. And it was truly the best experience ever. I, I love that city. Chicago is amazing. And I, I, I really learned a lot being a journalist there it was only for a short time it was you know a six-month period but at that time you know I was pretty certain I wanted to be Peter Jennings I was like (laughs) that's awesome I like grew up being like you know what I'm gonna learn from him I'm gonna work from him I I I want to do exactly what he does and being in grad school and eventually getting a job, I discover that there's so much that goes into putting on an evening broadcast every night and being on the ground, gathering the news, talking to people, getting the stories and really kind of developing what the story is and deciding what's important and what's not important is what really calls to me. So I guess you could call me a producer. I mean, you know, that's my title. That's what I do. But I I feel like I'm a utility player and that I do a little bit of everything. But I, I, I hate putting those, like, you know, titles on people, on myself. 
Um, I really just, I want to be a news gatherer. I love being out in the field. That's where I'm happy. You know, talking to people face to face is what's really important to me. And I am a strong believer in that every person you come across has a story. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you're currently doing. You have a story. You come from somewhere. You've been through something. Making that connection with people uh, and just talking to them, you know, as a friend um, or not even as a friend, just someone who's curious. I think that's that's what really calls to me. So I think, you know, I never really went into this field dreaming of being a producer, but that's kind of where I ended up. And I'll oh, go did ahead. You, did you ever consider being an anchor or what's the different track of, okay, I'm going to be like in front of the camera or I'm going to be behind the camera? Yeah, that's something I discovered. It really doesn't exist. I always went into to school being taught that you either want to be in front of the camera, you either want to be behind the camera or you're a print writer. And I've discovered pretty quickly that that really doesn't exist. Those lines are not as deep or as strong as you are led to believe i think the way that media works now it's just so modern and progressive and technology is advancing learning multimedia skills is what will set you apart so learning how to pick up a camera and shoot learning how to edit that footage learning how to use tools like snapchat and twitter and instagram is kind of the future of storytelling and journalism so being an editor or producer really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yeah, there are people still in this field who strictly want to be on camera, who go into journalism. I went to school, grad school, where you're paying thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to get a degree with people who just wanted to be on camera. And I will say over and over again, that's the worst way to do it. You, you want to go into journalism because you want to tell good stories and you want to be a part of something that's bigger than you. So that's bigger than imagining yourself what you look like on TV. You know? So whenever people talk to me about what they want to do in the future or how do they figure out what they want to do in journalism. And I don't know. I kind of try to help them or want them to see that it's more than just being on camera. You really have to care about the story because... You know, what really excites me and intrigues me and what, what really is impressive to me is the people behind the camera who are, you know, researching and doing the work and they're reporting and they have amazing sources and contacts and they're on the ground and essentially putting themselves in the, the line of, you know, danger to, to share this information and they're the ones that go unseen so yeah, you see anchors and reporters on camera, but there's so much work that goes beyond that, behind the scenes that really is the journalism to me. And both of the jobs are hard. Being on camera is so difficult. I mean, I've never been interviewed before like this and I find it nerve wracking, you know? And imagine if you're going on camera in front of millions of people, like that has to be so scary. So both jobs are difficult. I think this one really calls to me being a producer. But I like to leave yeah. things open. I think that's great. I think what you said sounds so uh, emotionally attached to your story. Because I think that's where 
that's where the things that matter from news happen. You know, it's not it's not the story on the week weeknight news or weekend news of the the squirrel that goes water skiing. You know, it's these <laughs> it's these features that really change the world in in very important ways. Absolutely, and it's it. Those are the stories that I wish media would focus on more. We're all guilty of it. Every network, you know, news outlet, cable, what have you, they're all into getting clicks and. It's tough because we need clicks. We need people to care and pay attention and go viral. That's super important to what we do. But I feel sometimes the important stories that maybe don't get the clicks are more, you know, useful to people. (laughs) And we should be focusing more on those stories. So it's a tough battle because I, I deal with that every day in my line of work, you know, deciding between what's what's going to be viral what's what are people really going to like and think is oh that's so funny oh oh my god did you see that article or that story versus this is really important and we should care about it like human trafficking or something serious of that nature (laughs) what what's the most interesting segment you've ever produced what do you think oh that's or what's your favorite that's a tough question because you know i've been working with my current company for only six months but I've done so much already that I'm you know I feel so lucky and grateful to be involved that every opportunity and experience that I've done I've been so happy to do it's hard to just pinpoint one I will say that I love being out on the field I was most recently in Charleston West Virginia and I I told my friends I was like hey I'm going to Charleston I'm covering this big trial and they're like oh my god Charleston South Carolina that's amazing and I was like, yeah, no, it's West Virginia. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I found that I really loved being out there. It was, um, you know, just meeting people in day-to-day life who have issues that are real and separate and different from, you know, what most people have to go through. It was really, you know, nice being out there. And I covered a trial for Don Blankenship, who was the coal mining baron, who was on trial for several things um, among them being that he violated federal mining laws and tried to kind of hide behind his mines you know he didn't want them what he was doing to be found out and you know it it was just a really interesting trial for me because I had never covered a trial of such big magnitude and every single day going and sitting in a courtroom and hearing these you know, amazing lawyers from both sides, the defense and the prosecution, try to convince a jury um, of his innocence and guilt. I had never seen that process actually play out before. So that was a really, really fascinating thing for me. What kind of media were you using? Were you, I I know that I saw you tweeting about it, but were you also producing video for it as well? Yeah, and that actually proved to be very difficult because you can't be in two places at one time. You know, I was inside the court And then to go outside to set up a camera before they walk out proved to be really difficult. And you have to kind of do it in a matter of minutes because they they walk out right behind you. So at some point, you kind of have to rely on your cell phone to gather that video. And that's kind of what goes into producing because you have to really think on your feet. You can't just call your boss and say, hey, what do I do? as a producer out in the field covering a big story, those decisions do rely on you and yourself and your gut. And so in those moments, I would kind of have to make a decision. How do I proceed? How do I cover this? 
And, you know, what's really cool about ABC News is that I am I am doing reporting and I'm informing people within my company. And so making sure that I have that information correct and accurate, it's a huge responsibility. And so that's what I really enjoy doing is covering those those stories that people really care about and making sure that I have it right. And, um, sure. you know, finding different ways to to share. So, yeah, I did use Twitter and Instagram, but I also took out our camera and tripod and filmed as much as I could. So it's a little bit of everything. On a longer feature assignment like that, do you have more space to kind of put together the narrative that that you're looking for? Or is it still like you need to get out a story every day at a specific time? Yeah, it really depends. It's pretty fluid. Um, Sometimes they want a daily story. Sometimes it's like, okay, you know what? Just stay out there, send us detailed notes, and we'll see how it goes from there. And that's kind of what happened in Charleston while I was there. It was kind of like a day-to-day process. Towards the end, I was there for about 10, 11 days for the jury deliberations. And we just sat on these cold, hard benches outside of the court reading for hours, talking to one another, trying to keep each other company for hours upon hours on end. And at that point, you're kind of just not doing much reporting and all you can do is send out notes or tweets. Um, But sometimes it does end up developing into a bigger story. Right after the Charleston trial, I went to Baltimore to cover William Porter's trial. He's one of the six that are um, charged for the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore. And so for that, it was like a daily turnaround piece because there was a lot of interest in it. And so, you know, every single day we sit in court, we take notes, and you bust out a story, and it goes live. So it just it depends on the story. It depends on who wants it. depends on the shows, you know, what, what they're interested in. And that's kind of what's tricky about working for a network with different shows is each show is different. So you have to figure out, okay, would they be interested in this? Would they be interested in this? Oh, should I put this online? So kind of figuring that out is, is a little tricky. And that's, that's the role of a producer is we think on our feet a lot. How many people are on your team? Like when you go out to something like this, or is it like two people or what? How many people? By myself for the most part. Oh, <laughs> <clears throat> Wow. Uh, Yeah, I was in Charleston, West Virginia by myself for a total of maybe 28, 29 days. So I, you know, did as much note taking, filming, everything that I could by myself. And then when we went to Baltimore, I was in the court by myself. And then when it came to jury jury deliberations, um, when it came close to, you know, a potential verdict is when they sent more people, you know, like a correspondent and a photographer and audio and lighting to make sure that we could have, you know, a really nice shot for our shows. But for the reporting, it's usually just one person. So it's a lot of pressure. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> hey, so you were telling us before the, uh, before we started recording that during the holidays, you did a couple of segments for good morning America. Mm hmm. So can you kind of describe the process for creating one of those segments? Like how, how do you come up with the story ideas? And then what's the timeline for like, what's the timeline like for actually going out and making something like that? It's actually pretty amazing. And I had no idea of the workflow before I joined ABC, but you know, we spend our days, you know, 
going over you know what are the big stories of the day what's happening in social media what are people going to care about and our seniors who are based in new york where our headquarters of abc are basically determine okay you know what this is what we want for good morning america tomorrow and so they send us those assignments and we are assigned a correspondent but it's our responsibility as a producer to do all of the news gathering essentially figuring out what is the story what are the pieces of video that we can show because you know we have to remember at the end of the day that everything we do is on television so how do we bring the story to life for television do we have video do we have photos and that's hard because anyone can walk into a room and bust out a 300 word story with just their pen and paper or even just their cell phone but to put something on tv there's so much more required. I mean, we need physical like images that we can show. You can't have blank space, you know? So that job is really hard. And sometimes you have those stories where there are essentially, there's no video to show. So coming up with creative ways to show something, be it using graphics um, or, you know, like data or, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a creative process. So a typical day as a producer for Good Morning America, as you come in later in the evening because you're working through the night and you, you work throughout the day to gather as much information. What is the story? Let's get the facts right. What can we show? Every single word that the correspondent says on air has to have a matching piece of video. Okay. <clears throat> okay, wow. And so, yeah, and then, you know, the you have to deal with the correspondent making sure you know that they approve of the script do they like the script having them write their script and then working with senior executive producers in new york who have to sign off on everything and then the correspondent wants something worded this way but the senior in new york wants it said this way but then the legal department wants it said another way so my job as a producer is to essentially make sure that everyone is happy at all times. And, <laughs> you know, it's like a lot of emailing like, OK, how are we going to go through this? It's essentially like a hand holding process. And it's pretty difficult and it's pretty exciting at the same time because you really feel like you're doing something that's important and vital. And Good Morning America is the number one morning show for a reason. And we work really hard. And so, you know, once we have a correspondent approve of the script we have to go down to the edit bay and the editors work with us to make the story and then someone comes in on the overnight shift at like midnight and we hand off the piece to them but we might end up staying there till two or three and then they took take over from there until we air it at seven in the morning so it's like a big overnight process especially if we have breaking news or a developing story i mean that is just an all-night thing, you know? So do you ever so you guys take- get less than 24 hours? Oh, every story is less than 24 hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things in the middle of the night, they will cancel the story that we're doing and say, oh, there was an explosion in Turkey, which is what just happened the other day. This is your new story, and you have, you know, two hours before air to put something together. And sometimes you don't even have that long. And it, it all comes down to the wire many times, you know, much more than we like because it's very stressful. So is there like, so like when there's something that happens in Turkey, 
where do you guys get your video cut? Like, is there a website you guys go to to pull down like other ABC affiliates video feeds or how does that work? Yeah, we have great partnerships with a lot of media organizations. So, you know, when you contact them, we can get their images and footage cleared. And these are relationships that ABC has had for years. And that's how we get our content. And exactly. We have affiliate services that provide video uh, to all the networks. So that really makes our job easy because, you know, if we're not in Turkey, when something like that happens, how are we going to share that that footage? And so it's a lot of you know, reaching out to people. A lot of it is even reaching out to people on Twitter and Instagram. Like, Hey, we saw you shot this video. I'm from ABC news. Do you mind if we use this footage? And we have to ask random bystanders who shot video, if we can use it. And that's, that's how we do it. I mean, it's really like sometimes when we have breaking news, I get on Twitter and I start searching for people, random strangers who have video and reach out, reach out to them and say, can we use your video? And they have to give us permission. And you know, that's, that's, that's part of our job is to search for this footage in this video and gather as much as we can. And that's what makes a good producer is, you know, being on top of it and learning how to Twitter Google. Twitter is really winning me over. <laughs> learning how to Google. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Twitter is a great tool. I don't even know before ABC how useful it could be to search for things like that. It's it's fascinating, the things you can do. Frank's a Twitter convert. I don't think he was on. Like, you, you first got on, what, like a, like a month and a half ago, and now he's all over Twitter. The noise cancel Yeah, I'm, I'm totally in. <laughs> At noise cancel pot. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> great plug. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Frank, did you want to ask your uh, rapid fire questions? Yeah, let's jump in. This is called the lightning round. It should be brought to you by Snapchat today, but they are, they are not an official sponsor of this episode. Um, first question, what is your favorite beverage? Oh, water. Water? What are you currently drinking? Um, something I've actually never really had or tried before. It's called a lefe. Oh, cool. It was just a random uh, pick from my close booze store. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good call. What is your favorite cheese? Mm, cheddar. Nice, nice. Salad choice. <laughs> uh, favorite place that you've ever visited? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, shoot. I love the beach. So anywhere tropical, Puerto Rico, <laughs> Puerto Rico, because that's where I met Axel. Axel <laughs> and Gino. Great yeah. time. <laughs> what is something that you never get tired of? Um, watching TV. What's your favorite <laughs> show? I have a lot of favorite shows. I just binged on Making a Murderer on Netflix which was, I was so good. Frank, you're in on that, I was hoping we could talk you? about it. Yeah, I haven't I, watched I, it I yet. watched that in two days. Is it, it, is it good? so good. I mean, it's, what I really liked about it is that it's different from Serial because, you know, Serial is hosted by Sarah Koenig, who is so smart and, you know, amazing, but she likes to insert her thoughts and her opinions, and this is how I think this is going. 
but this i think making a murder was really just up to you i mean they let they leave all of it up to you you have to read what's on the screen and kind of make up your own mind which i really liked um i found my mind changing a lot how about you frank um i i kind of swayed to and fro um if you're talking about you know guilty versus not guilty um i held pretty solid on just my overall take on the case um i mean it just is such a a tragedy really i mean just watching it you know i'm just and this is no spoilers but there's just so many times where you're just like oh this is this is so hard to watch but it, yeah. it was amazingly well done it will suck you in if you guys haven't watched it yet i highly recommend it it's it's a great documentary absolutely and i know that the the filmmakers got a lot of critique because a lot of people said oh you know they're just siding with Stephen avery without looking at all of the facts and they didn't include all of the facts i just i think overall it's a it's a really deep look at the criminal justice system and it's so apparent and clear to see that there needs to be some reforms made and if you look at the the story of brendan dassey in particular like that is just heartbreaking guilty guilty or not guilty that does not matter um i think his story his his trial his representation everything about that is just tragic and i really do love that the story is getting so much attention but i mean it's easy for us to love it and say oh that was just so fascinating and interesting what really needs to happen is some reform and i hope that this kind of shines a light on that yeah, a hundred percent. Because that's it's unacceptable at so many different levels. I mean, the entire process from the first day that it happened until today has been just an absolute injustice. Absolutely. So, Axel, get on that so we can we can talk right, about it. All right, I'll, I'll get on it. Yeah, I have, my list is growing. I know, can and you, then we can, can do you a Netflix Snapchat review. your reactions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I want some Snapchat, Snapchat live reactions right, while right. you're watching. Live snaps. On, hey, I have a ton of time for Snapchat because I've cut news from all my feeds. <laughs> in theory, that was one. Of, that was one of the things I'm trying out for 2016. We'll see. You're cutting out Marianne's all like, news. <laughs> I'm trying to because. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, Axel, think who you're talking about. I Come know, on, let's rain it back in. No, okay. Let's so bring it back in. I'm cutting out all news, and I'm starting off the new year with Miriam on my pod. I know. So here's my <laughs> problem. I have to like, I, I struggle with like who to follow. And then I, the problem is, I feel like, particularly on Twitter, like I'll end up chasing these like these stories, and I'm like, I I've lost for like an hour, and I like I've tried to take notes of like, hey, maybe I should take notes when I'm doing this, but ultimately I found that. Like, I'm not, maybe it's the people I'm following, I don't know. But I basically felt like I was wasting time and that my time would be better spent, like, reading books or doing something that has, like, is, like, deeper than Twitter. As someone in the media, I totally agree with you, I will say. Reading. I love reading. I miss reading. I need to get back to reading because waking up and reading Twitter is not a smart thing. Today I tweeted, um, you know, you guys I'm sure heard about Al Jazeera America and the unfortunate news that they are closing their American operation here. And I tweeted, 
And I don't like to get, you know, political in my tweets. I always stay objective. And I tweeted about the fact that, you know, people didn't understand Al Jazeera America. They assume because of the name that it's just a bunch of terrorists, putting it lightly. And, you know, I, I tweeted something to that extent. And um, I got a lot of hate on that. Mm. You got people hate really? that? See, oh my I, gosh, my Twitter is blowing up, and I—I I mean, I just—I actually liked—I liked Al Jazeera America because it, it is definitely an example of seeing something from a different perspective. And like, if you can't—I I actually not even just Al Jazeera America, but just Al Jazeera in general—like, mm-hmm. it gives you a better idea of like how the rest of the world views America. I think that's like it's important just to understand that. Yeah, I mean, their storytelling is amazing. They do some really great work. And that's something that I was talking about earlier. I feel like networks could do more of that type of feature-style reporting, talk more about culture and race and religion and, you know, really those issues that we really care about as Americans and that we should care about. And that's what I'm trying to do as a reporter that I don't feel that we necessarily capture enough of and and it's just a really, it's a huge hit to journalism. I'm truly so sad and shocked about it. And it's its a tragic, tragic, you know, turn of events for Al Jazeera America. And I, I hope the people that work there, many of them are my friends who just found out 11 minutes before the media did that, That's you know, terrible. hey, we have two more months before we're all fired. So it's a very sad day for journalism. Yeah, that is too bad. And I think you look at the the space that there used to be for for journalism, radio and TV, it's just shrunk so much and and so much has been carved down to, you know, 30 seconds or a minute and just really doesn't give the latitude for a lot of those bigger stories that, you know, that's what people like to listen to and that's why podcasts have become so much more popular because they they allow for that space and they allow for that nuanced discussion. I totally agree. And that's why the noise cancel pod is so awesome. <laughs> we did not practice that, but, but that was that was very well done. What is we're gonna keep going. We've we've gone away from the lightning round. Now we're just we're that happens, I'm not sure what that weather really happens. We're on. That happens in conversations with me, sorry. No, we're Tangent. we're in the 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 Florida sinkhole round, not sponsored by Hooters. Um, what's the nerdiest thing that you do? Oh, work for the media, I guess. I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm a cool person. I I mean, I don't really know the definition of nerd or cool. I just think I'm me. I I like, I like to read. I like to listen to music. I like to turn out on the dance floor. Like I love all of those things. I don't really call myself a nerd, but I could be. No No, labels. I mean, we we pride ourselves on our nerddom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah um here's here's a little bit more uh personal question do you have more self-control or more discipline that's a difficult question hey discipline. Di- what's the example of each how, how how are they different so like discipline would be like not buying any junk food for your house and self-control would be you have a bunch oh. of junk food in your house and you don't eat it discipline i have no self-control which is why all diets fail i didn't even make a new year's resolution because i'm like you know what whatever go with it 
I just won't buy cookies. But if there are cookies in my house, I will eat them. <laughs> yeah. Are there humans that are good at self-control? Like, is there anyone that's better at self-control than discipline? Yeah, there are some people who legitimately just have incredible self-control. Axel, you um, have amazing self-control no, because... No, I... You... See, yes. Yes. No, but it's not... See, I am I am disciplined. Like, I... it's I'm not making a decision. Like, I've already... Like, I don't have stuff in my house that I don't want to eat. Like, I don't... I just don't have it in my house. So, I don't want to... Ha- like, I... I think I, I think there's studies on like you only have so much self-control and like if you waste it with all this crap that you're trying to avoid while you're in your own home then like you're wasting it on that and then you run into problems later. I don't know. I to me dis I I can't comprehend how like self-control will be better than discipline. But I guess it's kind of like learning like so I learn better by seeing and like I can't even comprehend how someone could learn better by hearing. But then when I talk to my sister, like she learns better by hearing. So like she'd rather just listen to a, an audio lecture than actually like read something in text. And like I can't even comprehend that. So maybe it's maybe that is true. Maybe there is self-control. The point is, is that there's a juicy burger in front of you. You will eat the meat and the lettuce and the tomatoes. That's true. Like you won't pick up the juicy burger and put the whole thing in your mouth like I would because, oh my God, that's a juicy burger. You have self-control, my friend. Just admit it. Hmm, maybe. I don't know. I I just live a low-carb lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> Said no male ever. <laughs> I just live a low-carb. You said that so suave. Like, like it's, a, <laughs> it's just really low-carb lifestyle, baby. <laughs> It doesn't sound like fun to me, Axel, I'll be honest. But yeah. I, I I can very much appreciate that you've trained yourself to enjoy it. Yeah, it's no longer a choice. So well, what is your favorite restaurant or bar in D.C.? Man, I am the worst at picking just one thing. I like a little bit of everything. I love... Pick them all. Yeah, no, I love U Street. That's like my jam because you can go to a club and dance and have fun and listen to music you can go to like a hole in the wall and just hang out with your friends you can go see bands like funk bands grunge bands rock bands reggae like there's a little bit of everything for everyone and it just kind of depends on the the night you know the mood and sometimes you can hit all of those places up which i like to do because i don't like to make up my mind i like a little bit of everything it's my lifestyle. Variety. Variety. <laughs> variety. <laughs> High variety lifestyle. Yes. <laughs> so I'm out. I'm out. I did want to talk a little bit just about living in DC. It's a beautiful city. I love I love visiting there every time I've I've been through, but you know, living in a place is much different than visiting. So maybe both you and Axel can can take a crack at, you know, kind of the experience of living in DC and you know what what you enjoy about it, what you you don't enjoy about it, and is it my my one question as an outsider? Does it feel different during a an election year? Is it just something that that is going on that's really unnoticeable because it's so busy already? I feel like we in D.C., despite being really like media political savvy, haven't really felt the effects of the election as much because. 
a lot of it is happening in places like Iowa and New Hampshire and many of the candidates are, are traveling there ahead of the caucus and the debates are being held in different cities and so much of the rest of the states are having to deal with this election but us in DC it's pretty quiet in terms of the campaign I mean that's just my personal perspective so, I don't know what you said I don't know so I just moved here does it like when does it get crazy in DC on an election do you know Mario? I don't know. I wasn't here in 2012, but I honestly, I don't really think it ever gets busy here. I mean, DC votes, they don't even count. <laughs> really? Right, right. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure local politics, the local election for mayor, etc. That's obviously a big thing for us in DC. And I say us, meaning the media, it's exciting for us. And obviously we care, but for people in, in DC, I don't think that... It's such a huge, huge thing. I, I like D.C. because there's a lot of interesting young people here. And granted, it is probably a little bit government heavy, but there's just a lot of young people with interesting and cool ideas. And uh, and people are out and about and, and there's always things to do. So just the people you meet here are really are really cool and give you a bunch of different perspectives. Yeah, definitely. I it, what's interesting is that I only recently started liking DC. I realized just a few weeks ago, like I don't know, it's just so beautiful. I I just moved into DC proper a few months ago. I used to live in Virginia and I lived in Maryland and both were fine experiences, but now it's my third year and I finally moved into the city and I realized just how beautiful and amazing it is and I had a lot of family members and friends come through town recently and I gave them the best dc tours ever and it really opened my eyes and there's just always something to do on every corner be it a museum or a monument a really nice place to eat uh or just a really cool looking house so you're like oh my god that's an embassy it's amazing it's beautiful i haven't um, i think there's a and this is probably true in any city but once you've been there a while if you haven't gone and done like the touristy thing sometimes you like you never get back and do that so I have a note, and it's not one of my top goals, but it's kind of like a side goal for 2016 that I want to do some sort of like tourist or historical thing like once a month. Oh, I have a good list for you because I just went through all of the museums, every single monument, the museum. I need that. Yeah, all of it. I give a really good Capitol Hill tour, so you just holler. Oh, sweet. In fact, I, mean, I wrote you guys that. You're going to make me want to come visit again. <laughs> you are going to have to come visit. Yeah, reunion in DC. That's and then right. we'll have we'll have a live podcast with like video and everything. Hey, and, <laughs> and also Mariam knows Trevor, so maybe we can get our previous <laughs> guest Trevor. So we just got to get everyone oh, wow. in here. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Tcon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, all right. So Mariam, I have one last question. And then we're going to wrap it up. So I mentioned before that, like, well, at least for me growing up, uh, dreaming of being in a position like you are just seemed like it was so challenging, so difficult. I think a lot of people kind of give up on that. So what would you tell a young person who dreams of being involved in TV production? Like, what should they do or what what uh, what would be your recommendation to them? I would say not, you know, don't give up. And I know that sounds easier said than done but that was kind of my lifestyle I mean growing up as a Pakistani American 
in the States, you're either expected to go into the sciences or law and kind of follow in your father's footsteps. And for me to come out and say to my family, hey, I really like journalism and reading and writing. That was really different for my family and a little bit unique. And my parents never, ever discouraged me for, you know, believing in what I wanted to do. But it was always kind of like, okay, that might be a little hard, though. And, you know, it was just kind of something scary but I just kept going and kept believing and dreaming. And even after undergrad, when I was working for a year and a half, it was always in the back of my mind, like this is not my lifestyle. I don't want to retire here as a 60 something working for the same company, living in the same city. And it was really just on a whim where I applied for grad school because I knew in order to succeed, I needed more skills. And so I think for someone that's going into media, I think it's a very, very important thing to be able to do everything. And that's so important now because they're not going to want to hire someone who can only write or someone that can only shoot video. They want someone who can do it all. They want someone who can write a story, shoot the video, edit the video, know how to Snapchat and Instagram. I can do all that and I'm telling people it is not hard to do. It's just a part of life. You know, we communicate with that technology, with those social media apps. I use them as an everyday part of my life. So working yesterday at the State of the Union with Snapchat was a piece of cake for me because I have been using those tools and it was honestly so fun. And if you incorporate those things in your life now, it will only make it easier for you as you tackle your, your, your career. So I always encourage people who come to me, you know, for advice into getting into journalism is be on top of the technology, learn how to use those new apps like Periscope and, you know, embrace it. Don't be scared of it. And being tech savvy is so important. And even now journalism schools are offering coding classes. That's a new big thing. I've created websites before. But I've used like pretty easy apps to help me along the way. But the thing is, is I wasn't scared to do it. And I think when I graduated from grad school, that really helped set me apart because I had a website to my name and that I could send out. And I think it really just takes courage and being brave and not being scared of, you know, pursuing your dreams because this is what media journalism is all about. We're at the forefront of technology and innovation So if you're scared or shy or apprehensive, you're not going to get really far. You have to really believe it and believe in yourself. And if you don't have those tools, learn the tools, you know, Google, teach yourself, take classes and, you know, don't ever give up because I was a Pakistani American kid living in Columbus, Ohio, and never, ever in my life did I think I would end up in Washington, D.C., covering politics, covering the president of the United States, members of Congress, working for a big, you know, network. So I I think it really is just pursuing your dreams, believing in yourself. And and, and that really is what it takes. That was incredible. Thank you (laughs) so much for that answer, for being here. So how can listeners follow you and your projects? Well, um, you know, you can follow and support ABC News. We have Twitter handles ABC at ABC. And then we also have an at ABC politics account. And then me personally, I would love more followers. It's at MCON 47, M-K-H-A-N 47. And 
I mean, I Instagram, you can find my Instagram easily. And I just, you know, I am pretty open with all my stuff. I post a lot to Twitter, my, my projects and my reporting. So that, that's, that's a way to do it. Thanks so much. This has been an awesome interview. It's been so much fun and really inspirational. I totally agree. What you guys were answering that, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) as you were answering that, I was thinking I need to go back and take notes um, (laughs) because that was that was an incredible way to wrap things up. So so thanks again for being here. Thanks for you know supporting our project because it it really takes great people you know great people to put together good material that that people enjoy listening to so thanks so much and we're gonna have we're gonna have to have you back on as this uh as the political race heats up (laughs) we'd love to have you on to hear your thoughts oh i would love to come back that would be awesome let's keep doing this and also you both are really onto something new this is innovation by the way you guys you know probably don't have journalism backgrounds i know you don't axel and here you are with a podcast so i mean kudos to you this is something that i could never even think of doing and you guys are doing it so hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much you guys are doing awesome well thanks again for being here this is uh been episode six uh we hope you enjoy it please feel free to comment we have a facebook page up now facebook.com slash noise canceling pod so check that out we'll be definitely posting some more things more content maybe Axel will be posting some snapchats um (laughs) (laughs) as he gets more versed in that that social media realm uh and stay tuned just for for more things to come on on soundcloud and uh Facebook as well. So I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. Go out there and uh, follow your dreams.